90.7 WTCC. Good morning. Welcome to the Spoken Word. 413-736-2781. About 10 minutes, I'm going to bring a guest on to talk about uh, this project in Halifax, Nova Scotia. But let me run down just for uh, uh, um, those in the local area what my thoughts are. Um, An incident happened last week on State Street um, where someone was stabbed near the Aquarius um, Lounge. Now, Aquarius is a... a, um, establishment in the hood um uh, it's a family business um in addition to uh, dining you know eating and 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 restaurant and bar it's also a facility used by those um in our community uh for its banquet facility so folks have baby showers they have um uh, they have banquets they have various events um at that particular location and have for years. Uh, Mayor Sarno uh, decided after that incident that happened near the Aquarius Lounge, not at the Aquarius Lounge, not even necessarily by patrons of the Aquarius Lounge, that they can't deal with or handle what's happening inside their club, inside their establishment. They need to be shut down, and he immediately called for revocation hearings for their license um, um, by the uh, uh, necessary parties in city government. That took a lot of people aback, including the owner, who um, says that he bends over backwards to ensure uh, the safety um, of the patrons there. Um, now, what what's particularly disturbing is the inconsistency in which the mayor decides that he's going to put his thumb on the scale and deal with local establishments because um, those of us who live in the city are scratching our head and we're saying as many times as people have been shot, stabbed, and literally murdered at the Mardi Gras, he never put his thumb on the scale and said he was going to shut them down. We try, and so we're trying to figure out how a stabbing next to an establishment, shut them down. A murder at the establishment, nothing. But we don't, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about the Mardi Gras. Let's talk about Nathan Bill Bar and Grill, okay, where 13 current and one former Springfield police officer were arraigned in Superior Court because they were indicted on allegations that they either participated in or helped to cover up a 2015 incident in which off-duty police beat four black men outside of Nathan Bills. They were charged in indictments that were brought by a statewide grand jury. Um, There was an investigation by the Office of Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy. Uh, The arraignments um, are really the latest development in a four-year legal saga that already to date has cost the city close to a million dollars in legal settlements to the victims. All right. Um, 
I won't go through the whole list of the of the officers that were arraigned in that particular incident, but let's just say um, there's all kinds of questions surrounding how um, that incident, after complaints were filed with the Springfield police, nothing happened to these officers. How, when it was reviewed by the district attorney's office, nothing happened to these officers. But all of a sudden, when other parties get involved outside of Springfield, everybody's getting indicted left and right. So there was, there was under no uh, uncertain terms, a cover-up by the city of Springfield in this particular case. And I'm not just saying on the radio what I haven't said directly to the mayor and to the police commissioner. I've expressed my concerns with how this situation was handled. And any of you who know Brother Swan, you know I don't say one thing on the radio and say something different in your face. Um, um, and so, you know, so so my my thing is not only... Here's the thing. It's, it's not only were all of these officers indicted for either being involved in beating up these black men or being involved in covering up um, this brutal beating and incident that happened in the city, but the owner of Nathan Bill, the manager of Nathan Bill were also indicted. So so we're not just talking about random people who were patrons uh, at the establishment getting involved in a confrontation and a fight. Nathan Bill is a watering hole for off-duty uh, police. It's a hangout place. Off-duty police, politicians, the whole nine. That's the reality of it. Um, um, but when the owner and the manager are also indicted, but you want to take the license away from Aquarius from what happened to somebody on the side of the building or next to the building that had nothing to do with the people in the building. But this Nathan Bill thing had everything to do with the owner, the manager, and uh, and the patrons of the building. But I didn't see no revocation hearings for Nathan Bill. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see the mayor use, you know, his very effective bully pulpit to cast aspersions on Nathan Bill. I didn't hear him say if Nathan Bill can't control what happens at its establishment, I'm going to shut him down. Now, did I miss that? If I missed that, somebody, somebody help me. 413-736-2781. If I missed that, somebody help me understand and say, no, Bishop, you're wrong. You know, I can prove it right here. Here's the, here's the statement from the mayor's office. Here's the press coverage that says that the mayor said he's going to shut Nathan Bill down because they can't handle what happens at their establishment. Because that's what he said last week about Aquarius. And ain't nobody got indicted that's associated with Aquarius. 
but the co-owner of Nathan Bell's show, show did get indicted. But you're not now. So, so the question is, how come there's this one standard for how he's handling Aquarius, and a completely different standard for how he's handling Nathan Bill? What's special about Nathan Bill that after this complete embarrassing scenario? to the city and the police department by what happened at that establishment has muted the mayor and has caused nothing to happen. But they're, uh, you're going to shut down Aquarius. Hmm. 413-736-2781. Good morning. Good morning, Bishop. Bless you. They didn't say anything about um, the Mardi Gras either. There was a man shot. Yeah, I, I started with that. I, I talked about stabbing, shootings, and murders at the Mardi Gras. Yeah, and the in the kickback that didn't happen inside there, but they shut them down. Any uh, establishment in our neighborhood, everybody don't want to go downtown. Some people like to spend their money in their own community, but no, they they, they have something against us uh, us having our own establishments. That's all I wanted to say, sir. Have a blessed day. All right, thank you for your call. Good morning. Hello, my name's Marcus. How are you? I'm good. So let me transition, uh, um, Mr. James, uh, to the to the listening audience, and um, and feel free when I complete this interview with Mr. James to uh, call in and chime in on this situation with um, Nathan Bill and Aquarius, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to introduce um, to the listening audience. Um, Marcus James, who is uh, the president of 902 uh, Man Up. Um, And I told you earlier that um, uh, the mission of that particular organization was to create lasting solutions to violence involving young black males and to promote community self-empowerment, educational achievement, and economic opportunities through a committed collaborative and accountable presence within Nova Scotia. Uh, He's in Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, Halifax area. um, And, and he's going to talk about um, pushing for black economic inclusion in a $900 million Cogswell redevelopment project. But before we go to the redevelopment project, uh, two things I want you to tell folks about first, uh, give them a little history on the black population in Nova Scotia, because I think a lot of our folks really don't know um, the presence of African Nova Scotians. Um, Many descended from those who escaped slavery here in the Americas. And then tell us about uh, the 902 uh, Man Up Project, what that organization is all about, and then we'll segue into the Cogswell Redevelopment Project. Excellent, excellent. So thank you for having me, first of all. I appreciate that, brother. Right. And, you know, a lot of people are unaware of how long African Nova Scotians have actually been here in Canada, right? You know, the first black person to arrive in Canada was here in Nova Scotia. And we were here before Canada was Canada, to be honest, right, before Nova Scotia was Nova Scotia. And we came in the early uh 1600s, in fact, uh, 1604, right, is 
when we started to arrive here in Nova Scotia. So we're looked at as being indigenous blacks, right, you know, and people of the land. And <clears throat> here it is, you know, 2019, and we're still being treated as a third-class citizen, to be up and straight with you, right? You know, but our history here goes beyond, right? The only people here before us were the natives of the land, the aboriginals, right, you know, and rightfully so. But uh, our history here and our contributions to society, not just here in Nova Scotia, black Nova Scotia, but throughout Canada, right, is well known. And you're right. We are descendants of those who uh, fled the uh, Virginia, South Carolina, and we came with that migration there, right? And, you know, we like to consider ourselves as the Mandingo warriors that, uh, you know, were brave enough to, to risk that journey. Right, and get here to be able to survive, right? And we've been here contributing to society here in Halifax, Halifax being the capital of our Nova Scotia. You know? I, yeah, I, I think that that history is important, especially uh, for African Americans here in the United States, and that's because um, they need to see the connection how uh, African Nova Scotians and African Americans in America have a similar history and connection through our ancestors and that the same struggles that we deal with in America, uh, you all deal with in Canada as well. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, when you talk about our cultures, they're one of the same. So the exact same thing that y'all are experiencing there in the United States it's exactly what we're experiencing here. And some examples of that is, you know, police checks, police carding, however you want to call it. Um, you know, exact same thing, the brutality, right, is going on right here in Canada as it is, you know, abroad, right? So it's the exact same experience. And to be honest with you, you know, when y'all down there experience something, it migrates here. Right. So it has a big impact on the black communities here in Canada, especially Nova Scotia. Wow, wow. So tell me about the um, the 902 uh, Man Up organization. Um, um, why was that started and what's its mission? So basically uh, in 2016 we had a series of homicides here in Halifax. And 37% of the homicides... Uh, that year were African Nova Scotian black males, right? So we felt as an older, mature black males, got to be something that we can do, right? So to be honest with you, it really started as a uh, call out on social media to older, mature black men. And we had over 150 black men show up for that uh, town hall meeting, to be honest. And you know, wasn't sure how that was going to uh, take place. But once we got there, it just formed on its own. And, you know, uh, I'd like to make this point in describing that uh, first meeting, which was we had a room that was divided because we asked black men to come, no matter what walk of life you were from, leave your professional hat at home and come as a black man, right? That's all that mattered. Uh, for that conversation, and uh, the room was divided because we had young brothers that grew up being incarcerated, but then we also had those brothers that were educators, lawyers, pro 
professional. And the room was divided. And, you know, I'm standing there saying, man, how's this going to happen? How's the flow going to take place, right? But it did because I, the thing that we all had in common was the fact that somewhere along the line as older, mature black men, we dropped the ball with these young brothers. So we need to work on ourselves first. And we did that through a series of meetings. And once we got to a point where we were speaking the same language, we said, okay, now it's time for us to reach out to the brothers, those young brothers. Right, that are being wow. impacted the most. And, you know, we're 100 members strong right now, and uh, the journey continues. Now, 902, what what does that stand for? That's just area code, and to be honest with you, you know, um, when we started bringing people in who are being impacted the most, you know, that was their rep. They want to be, that's the area code for uh, Nova Scotia, right? So... That was their rep, and that's what they wanted to be called by, and I felt it was important for their voice to be seen and heard, right? And, you know, so the, the name just stuck, right? 902 Man Up, right? You know, and it's a simple area code for Nova Scotia when you're calling. Absolutely. So so now <clears throat> the the Cogswell Redevelopment Project, first I want, want you to tell us um, – the, the the Cogswell housing, how important is that in the life of um, black Halifax, uh, of, of black folk in Halifax, and and how um, this this project has the potential to particularly displace African Nova Scotians, and why it is critical and important that um, a project of this magnitude has to include um, black folks. They have to be included in the economic development, in the planning of it, um, in the sharing of the resources, and in any negotiations as to how this moves forward. Um, You know, you can't talk about the black experience here in Nova Scotia without talking about um, the displacement of residents of Africville. And it's a famous story. And, um, you know, back in the uh, early 60s, you know, Halifax wasn't as large as it is today. And there was Halifax County, and this is where Africville resided. And it was a, um all-black community, right? Um, but the people owned their land, they owned their homes, and the city of Halifax, uh, so they wanted to expand. So they actually came in the middle of the night and bulldozed the homes of these individuals, right, who refused to sell their land. Some did, and they left Nova Scotia and went to Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, those places. But the mass majority wanted to stay on their land, right? And uh, the city wanted that land, right? So they came in in the middle of the night and they bulldozed it. They used trickery. Right. There was lots of things that took place uh, coming in. You know, you had government officials coming in with briefcases full of money. But you know how that game is played. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. We, we had dollar bills. They had dollar bills, $50 bills on top and underneath paper. And people just seen that kind of money. Back in those days, that was a lot of money. Right. And people took it only to realize that, you know, they were hustled. Right. Um for those who refused to sell, 
right? They came in the middle of the night, bulldozed it. Uh, came on a Sunday when the mass majority of the uh, community was inside their church because they had a community church, the Africville Church, and they bulldozed the homes. Right, and there's never been any accountability to that. And the, the, the municipality today did apologize, but families have never been. There, there's never been any 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 reparations, any type of restitution uh, that has gone to the families uh, of basically um, the raising, bulldozing, and displacement of African Nova Scotians from Africville uh, ever. And and that we've got so many similar stories here in America where entire black communities uh, were destroyed because the, the, the wider white community had plans for their property and did not care about their rights. Exactly. Well, that, that property here in Africville today now over the, uh, I say probably the last 15 years, they have renamed the property. They changed the name back to Africville. And every year, which is a small think, gesture in terms of, you, you small, know, the, the, those families would much rather um, 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 would much rather receive reparations for what was done than than symbolism in terms of renaming it back. Exactly. And, you know, that battle's still taking place. It's still pending. I mean, you had the U.N. nation come to Halifax and say you know, that government at that time was wrong, and this needs to be corrected. But still, there's no reparations, right? You know, but, um, you know, no, the thing about Halifax is that Halifax is a government-ran city. You know, uh, here in Nova Scotia, we don't see, it's not to say we don't have successful black people, because if you're a principal, teacher, or a lawyer, or you just work hard, that means you're successful. You know, if you're teaching your family, your kids, your young ones, values, that means you're successful. But in terms of riches, we don't see that here in Nova Scotia, right? And that's why this project is so important to the black community because those families that were displaced from Africville are now living in that area, right? So, And, and so you know, this, 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 could be, day, this could be potentially um, – history repeating itself exactly. um, uh, those who were displaced from Africville and their descendants now potentially uh, being displaced from Cogswell and that and that's always that possibility and you know they are there's been community consultation right but not within our community in the surrounding community yes but not within our community and you know, we're being, it appears that we're being left out again. And there's been some gestures, okay, in terms of monuments, statues, that type of thing. No, that's not what we want. We know our history only too well, right? And that's important. We understand and recognize that. But we want to be a part of extending our history here in Nova Scotia by becoming business owners. We want 20% of the businesses black-owned. We want 20% of the employment working on that particular project to be African Nova Scotian, right? We want 20% of the construction to go to black-owned construction companies because we do have them. The other thing that Nova Scotia also has is the largest indigenous black community and oldest in all of Canada, which is known as North Preston, 
you know, which lots of fantastic history there. You know, and so we're, and we're the, not and, and, and that's that's down. the tw- that's the twenty 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 plan. You got it, and and that's what we're referring to it here, the twenty twenty twenty. What what has been the response um, of the powers that be? I know you had a a town hall meeting recently. Um, we're actually but, having that tonight, so we will uh, be having that tonight. Actually, okay. So you'll have a town hall meeting tonight. Uh, what has been the response of the powers that be thus far uh, in terms of um, your negotiations or your demands or your requests from them in terms of the inclusion of African Nova Scotians on this project? And and then secondly, what has been the response, particularly of Black elected officials? So uh, the response of government to our request um, has gone unheard, right? And for the few that have spoke about it, you know, and it's the same. As I said, you know, what you guys experience, we experience. One-on-one, you know, they're all in agreement and, oh, wonderful idea. But bring them together and turn that into a movement, and all of a sudden you see people choose sides, right? And, And that's exactly what's taking place here. And the response from the general community, uh, they're afraid, you know. But we, we anticipated that. They've always been afraid of us. And when I say they, you know, uh, in terms of white society, people are afraid of change for whatever reason, you know, whether it's systemically or racially motivated, um, for whatever reason, you know, people are afraid of that. Uh, in terms of local black politicians, um, you know, part of the problem here is the fact that they become a part of the establishment. Wow. That's it. That, that, and, and I knew that was the case, it, it, which is the case here as well. Um, you know, people have often asked me why I don't run for political office. And I always say, well, first, I'm a preacher. Then secondly, I always think that I can be more effective um, outside of sitting in a political seat um, than inside because th- there's always that level of compromise that you have to make. But I think even compromise, um, there still has to be a line drawn in the sand, uh, particularly for elected officials that come from disenfranchised communities that, that I'll only go so far uh, when it comes to compromise because at the end of the day, I've got to represent uh, my community. But oftentimes when people get into uh, a system of white supremacy, um, thinking that they're going to make change and stay in it long enough, they actually become part of that system. And that's what's disheartening. Exactly. And, um, you know, bottom line is we are who we are. You can't change that color, you know. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, you sooner or later you got to come back home, right? And you want to be able to walk in there and have your community, your people be proud of you, you know, in terms of what you accomplished there. I think it's important that we sit at those tables, right? And I also understand and recognize that it is an uphill battle. But you know what? You must. You must remember where it is that you came came from and where you started. What so that's uh, what to the survival of our people? What what are your hopes uh, in terms of the town hall meeting tonight? Uh, what do you hope to come out of this meeting, and what will be your next steps after this meeting takes place? So, 
we are just simply bringing that awareness to our communities, and we want people to prepare for this. And as I said, for this here whole thing is a win-win situation for us. I have no doubt. It's a win-win, right? We're already at rock bottom here in Nova Scotia. So the only way up is, you know, the only place for us to go is up. And, you know, with God willing, um, you know, he's going to see us through this. And these conversations are tonight are just simply to start that awareness so that our communities get ready for it. Because this is about blacks right across Nova Scotia, not just here in Halifax. It begins here. But it's high time that we get a part of that pot. And we're not asking for any handouts. All we're asking for is equal playing field, right? And we're going to create that. It's up to us to maintain it. What's the timeline for for the project? When when do they uh, anticipate starting this project, completion, et cetera? Uh, It's a three- to five-year project. Right, so that's why we sort of want to set things up now, start having those conversations in community town halls, such as tonight here at the North Branch Library, and we want our people to be prepared. And moving forward, you know, after tonight, we want to sit down with potential partners. Um, you know, we have groups and uh, institutes that are partnering with us on this and moving forward, making sure that our people are going to receive the appropriate training that they need for these jobs, right? But we also want to speak to black construction-owned businesses, right, to have them come on board and support this moving forward. Um, You know, as I said, with the community of North Preston, you know, all kinds of small business owners up there that will be able to benefit off of this opportunity, right? And we're just going to make it difficult for government to say no to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we always have to do, try to make it difficult for them to say no. And it's not it's not that you're asking for anything that's unreasonable. Exactly. Uh, you know, it, it, it should be something um, that is easily met uh, without resistance. But we but we know uh, for whatever reason, um, they sometimes want us to be satisfied with those superficial things. You know, we're going to name something after somebody. We're going to put a statue up somewhere. But yet and still, it's all of our people who are going to get all of the contracts and make all of the money um, from this particular project. And, and we're supposed to be satisfied uh, with photo opportunities and superficial things that mean nothing other than symbolism. Exactly. You know, which is a constant reminder of how we were forcibly forced over here, you know. And, yes, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And, you know, we're going to make the best of it. But all we simply are asking for is the fact that you allow us to establish ourselves as a community so that we can provide for our young ones coming up behind us. And there's a legacy for the black community. And that legacy is driven by us, not somebody else. So that's why the problem is that our stories have always been told by other people who profit off. Well, we want to profit off of our own stories, our own experience. Absolutely. So tell me how those of us in the states um, can be a resource or can assist our brothers and sisters uh, in Nova Scotia in terms of this particular project. Well, I, I think one thing is understanding that, you know, what y'all go through down there, 
is exactly what we're experiencing here and recognizing that Nova Scotia is a mecca for black people, right? It really is. We have people that migrate here because it, it, it is the home of black people, right, in Canada. This is where it started. You can't talk about the black experience in Canada without coming to Nova Scotia. You know, so I think it's important. So having you all recognize that what it is that you're going through is happening everywhere to our people, right? So whether that's morally, financially supporting, you know, and everything helps. Everything helps. And, you know, we'd love to have people come down here and provide advice in terms of us moving forward on the project. We welcome it. Right, because if successful at this, um, it's just not here in Nova Scotia. It's for all of us, you know, right across North America. Right, it's for all of us because we know what it's like to be left out, and we're tired of being left out deliberately. So, you know, my advice is I, I walk them. If you know anything about this type of uh, uh, project, because I'll be honest, we don't. But you know what? It's too important for us to let it go. You know, and this is what our community here in Nova Scotia is asking for. So we just felt the need to pick up that charge and lead it, right, at their request. I want to. I want to thank you for um, for your work with Nine Hundred Two Man Up and for your involvement. Uh, and leadership in this particular um, uh, project. Um, uh, I want to thank uh, Tunde Belongo for uh, his 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 clarion call and his voice um, yeah. uh, in these efforts as well, and all of those that are working with you and are on the front lines at the grassroots level um, trying to make life um, better for African Nova Scotians. I know that road isn't easy, um, but definitely we appreciate you, brother. We appreciate your efforts and we, we plan on staying connected and, um, and trying to uh, provide some level of resources as far as expertise from some folks, um, in that area, uh, that will assist because, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that we've got to get to is understanding that, um, African people, um, are are one across the diaspora we are we are connected whether we're in america in nova scotia uh in south america on the continent of africa or anywhere uh black people are we experience um the same level of discrimination and disenfranchisement and we've got to have a more global concept instead of a localized concept of how we fight for our people Exactly, brother. And, you know, for anybody who wants to contact us and support us, you know, you can reach out to us at inquiry at 902manup.ca. All right. Appreciate you, my brother, and we'll definitely be in touch. Thanks for coming on this morning, and the best to you on this evening in the town hall meeting. My pleasure, brother, and, you know, wishing you all Godspeed. All right. God bless. Okay. 413-736-2781. I'm winding down. That was Mr. Marcus James, the uh, president of 902 Man Up. Um, 
uh, working on a very uh, important um, community advocacy um, project in terms of um, trying to get um, um, the proper participation um, by African Nova Scotians, trying to get black economic uh, inclusion in a $900 million redevelopment project in Halifax, Nova Scotia, the capital of Nova Scotia, and the highest black population in all of Canada. A very important project. And we'll thank you, brother, for coming on this morning. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm not trying to undermine um, the topic of discussion, but what that young man was talking about, the history of black people, I just wanted to say the runaway slaves, they actually invented hockey in Canada. And in 1990, they had an all-black hockey league. And in 1895, hockey was established, and the runaway slaves who were responsible for starting hockey, they would not put them in the Canadian Hockey Hall of Fame, and a lot of people were outraged over that. And there's also a book called Black Ice that talks about all that. So I wasn't trying to undermine the topic. No, that's important because that that plays into exactly what the brother was talking about when he talked about um, 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 uh, 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 the – community of of black people that was displaced uh, and 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 how the our history often isn't told and and that's part of that yeah because hockey is the biggest sport in canada but it's not acknowledged that black men started it yeah, yeah it's absolutely. not acknowledged at all thank not you a, not acknowledged at all appreciate so the call love your show love your show love your message <laughs> i love that sermon and uh, just God bless you, brother, and keep doing what you're doing. We, we support you here. All right. Appreciate this, you. This household supports you. Appreciate you. 413-736-2781. Listen, if you're looking for a place to worship, check us out at the Spring of Hope Church of God in Christ. Uh, we're located at uh, 35 Alden Street, uh, the Brick Church, right there at Six Corners if you're in um, the 413 area, you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. Um, meet us at um, 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., and on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Uh, there's going to be good prayer, praise, and preaching. Um, and so we'd love to have you um, as our guest. And also remember, every fourth Tuesday um, at... Um, at the church is the NAACP um, general membership meeting. The general membership meeting this month um, will not be on tomorrow. It will take place on next Tuesday, the 4th, uh, as opposed to that. As as I told you, there are many of us traveling to Baltimore uh, for that major convention um, that is taking place there. Um, So, uh, meet us next Tuesday, the 4th, uh, and we've always got um, some information that is pertinent uh, to our community uh, that we're dealing with. And also um, consider becoming a member uh, of the NAACP. You can go to our website, naacpspringfield.org. Uh, we also pause to uh, recognize the sacrifice of all of those who have um served in the military, who lost their lives um, in service, 
um, many, 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 many um, um, black people served in all branches of the military uh, and gave their lives for this nation. Uh, And so uh, when people talk about uh, the military, and not only did um, African people build this nation, uh, this nation was built off the backs of free labor uh, by our ancestors, uh, but we also fought, bled, and died in every war that was ever fought um, by this nation. And so we pause to recognize um, those uh, who did, um, many of those in my family um, who served uh, in the military. Uh, my uncle Halbert lost his life um, in the military during the Vietnam era. Uh, my uncle Talbert, my father, um, my wife um, served. My daughter Talon served in the Navy. Uh, there are many who have served um, in the uh, military. So uh, happy Memorial Day to each and every one of you. Uh, James Lewis is in the studio. He's getting ready to come up with mid-morning jazz and great black music. Instead of riding out to my regular theme music, I'm going to, I'm going to ride out um, uh, playing a little bit more of that sermon um, that was playing Um, And so you pray for me, I'll pray for you until the next time I talk to you and you talk to me. Always remember, God loves you and so do I. She looked at what was going on in her hood. She looked at the fact that Rome had uh, basically uh, taken control of the nation in which she lived. Turn that one all the way off. There you go. that 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 people were being oppressed and mistreated and she had to wonder how are you coming here telling me that I who am a member of an oppressed people am blessed well you ought to tap somebody next to you and tell them I don't care what you're going through you're still blessed you're still blessed And and so I need to tell you uh, 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 that raising black children has caused many folk to wonder just like Mary. Now, I got to believe that Mary wondered. Now, you're telling me that I'm going to have a black boy in a community that kills black boys. Y'all ain't going to help me. I'm going to birth a black boy into a community that murders black boys on the street and their murderers get away with it. How can I be blessed to be pregnant with a black boy when the prisons are filled with black boys who are being arrested for no reason? And even those who are arrested for a reason are receiving harsher sentences than the boys of other ethnicities. How can I be blessed to be pregnant with this black boy? This has to be a burden for me to be pregnant with this black boy. And so many of us uh, have been in the same circumstances, married to wonder uh, about the announcement of being blessed by having to raise a black child in this type 
of an environment, of having to deal with the struggles of a community that dislikes our child simply because they were born. And the same evangelical right-wing white folk who talk about the high rate of black abortions. Y'all ain't gonna help me now. The same pro-lifers that want the poor single black mama to have the baby are the same riffraff that wants to cut away the support system to help the black baby survive once it's born. Mary must have thought about what it meant. She turned it over in her mind when Gabriel should have known that in the midst of such poverty, uh, he shouldn't be calling her blessed. In the midst of misfortune, uh, he shouldn't be calling her favored. And perhaps she wondered how uh, he could come to such a place and see such a dearth and dare to call her blessed. And maybe she wondered about his statement juxtaposed with the reality of her condition and wondered about the apparent contradiction in the two. How can you call me favored in all of this misfortune? How can you call me blessed among all of this? How is it the social context into which this baby would be born? She wondered, how would I be able to raise this boy? She wondered, how can I raise a son in these kinds of conditions with a government that's against him, a king that wants to kill him, a judicial system that's going to trump up false charges against him around the people that won't understand him. She wondered, how can I raise a son in the kind of society that's prejudiced against Nazarenes. They 